Logo Centrifugal Podcast. I am Chance Lunsford. I am also Logo Centrifugal. Um, I'll let you divide that. Now, I'm here with a very special guest, and I've been trying to have this podcast for quite some time. And uh, first I dropped out, and then my guest had to reschedule, and then I just almost didn't make this one. But here I am, and here is my man, Chief Chuck Whitworth. Here we are. Yes, sir. Hey, man. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, my friend? No, sure. Hey, look, uh, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. I know we've been trying to do this, and you know what? It's the alignment of the universe and all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm Chief Chuck on Twitter. Chuck, uh, I've got multiple names. I'm at Chief Chuck 2K on Twitter. I've been on there for a while under a couple of different accounts, but um, basically retired uh, U.S. Navy Chief Petty Officer. Did uh, 24 years in the Navy. I was a P3 flight engineer. I was a maintenance manager, uh, division chief, um, just an overall warrior god. But who of us isn't? Um, did a, a small stint in the Army right after high school. Probably one of the older guys that you've ever encountered on Twitter in this corner. Um, I graduated high school all the way back in 1981. Um, immediately went into the military and did that till 2007, retired from the military and went to work for the military as a civilian. been doing that. Uh, right now I specialize in foreign military sales. I sell aircraft and aircraft systems to our NATO and allied partners, uh, Norway being my current customer. So other than that, man, that's what I do. I'm living in the DC area, um, hanging out with you cats on Twitter and, Having fun. Nice. So um, that's a great introduction, by the way. And one Thank of the you. things that, that, that piqued my interest is, you know, you, you left the military in 2007. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And then went to work for the military. Mm-hmm. I know that one of the things that a lot of um, military guys struggle with is what they're going to do once they are outside of service. Right. And want, like, cause, cause you stayed in a long time. So you probably saw a lot of people go through that. And I'm wondering what mm-hmm. did you do to, to like, what steps did you take to line up something so that you knew you could just walk from one to the other? Yeah, I think um, it's hard. It's um, out of all the things I've done, you know, from, you know, people would think that going to boot camp when you're 17 years old, cause I graduated high school when I was 17. Um, you know, you would think that that's a, the hardest thing you've ever done. And boot camp's really not hard. It's a boot camp's the easiest thing in the world anybody can do, really. Um, it's you, you sleep, you get up, you do what you're told, when you're told to do it, you exercise, you eat, you drill. Somebody is constantly telling you what to do. Your day is structured from, from the moment you open your eyes until the time you close your eyes. So it's, it's boot camp's easy. You know, it's the easiest thing I've ever done. Leaving the military is the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, and on a different couple of, of areas, you know, I tell guys and I mentor guys that are getting out of the military now, the hardest thing you'll do if you spent 24 years in the military, the hardest thing to do is learn how to dress, believe it or not. Um, because I wore the same thing to wear. I either wore a flight suit, I wore khakis when I was a chief, or I wore coveralls when I was doing maintenance. Most of the time I wore a flight suit because I was flying all the time. Um, you never think about, you know, in your off time, you're on deployment somewhere. I am that dude that Tanner Guzzi hates. 
I wore cargo shorts and a t-shirt, you know, so they can all kiss my ass with the cargo shorts too, by the way. I don't know who this is tweeting me, man. Jesus Christ, this dude won't leave me alone. Um, so, I mean, it's hard because you learn how to dress and it's, it, it, I, we laugh about it now, but my wife, you know, when, when I retired, um, getting those connections, just like real life, how you set yourself up for post-retirement military, same way you do anything in civilian life, it's contacts, it's your network, it's who you've reached out to. Um, for me, um, when I retired in 2007, I did not want, I said I didn't want to work around airplanes. I was like, I'm done with airplanes, I've been around airplanes 24 years, don't want anything to do with them. Um, I, I had a job up in Scranton, Pennsylvania, doing uh, SAP uh, integration, had that lined up, and then a friend of mine called from down here at Pax River where the headquarters of Naval Air Systems Command is. A friend of mine called me up. He goes, hey, man, company's hiring. The company happened to be owned by the president and CEO was a master chief that retired that was I'd been stationed with. And he's like, they got a job. Come down. Just come down and talk to us. Okay. So I came down. Um, turns out the civilian people I'd be working for, I all knew everybody retired. So you know, they made an offer. So it's really just about making the connections, you know, same, just like you do in, in civilian world, you know, you set up that network, um, you make friends, but you also know that, you know, you have an idea of what you want to do. So I got back into working with airplanes and, and I really knew deep down inside, um, that was my sort of rebellion. Everybody's going to rebel when they get out of the military. You either first thing a lot of guys do is they grow their hair. Hmm. They try they get long hair or hmm. they grow a beard they try to rebel in some way with what they've done. My rebellion at the time was I don't want anything to do with airplanes. Well, it turns out I would have been miserable. Uh, but back to the getting dressed part, it got, it's to the point to where until I got to the point to where I was comfortable. Um, my wife, literally, I had uh, one of those five hanger things, rods for pants and shirts that had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And it was like animals. It was literally like the animals. You would match the giraffe. And that's how I knew what pants to go with what shirt. Cause I had absolutely no taste, you know? And so these guys on Twitter, it kind of, it kind of cracks me up a little bit. Um, you know, these, these young guys that go, man, these old dudes that let their wives dress them. Well, you know what, dude, seriously, some of you, I've seen some of them. They really ought to let their wives dress them. But, <laughs> but I mean, women have a, to me, women have an innate eye for, color pattern and all that, you know, and I didn't know the rules, you know, I didn't know that you didn't wear, you know, black belt and brown shoes or, you know, you try to make your socks, man. You know, I didn't know any of that stuff. Um, so she helped me out tremendously with that, but that's honestly, that's one of the hardest things of transitioning from military life to civilian life. The other thing that's hard about transitioning is just like you would do in, in real world people, people that go to college, you get in that mindset of you're, you're in college and, and I'm a student and I do this and you get out in the real world, you know, well, I was alpha five beta pickle max fraternity <laughs> and I was captain of the lacrosse team. Well, skipping nobody at Acme incorporated gives a fuck that you were the captain of the lacrosse team. They want to know what you're going to do hour by hour to, to produce for the bottom line. So it's that transition. Nobody cared that I was a Navy chief anymore. It's like, dude, you're, you're part of the government, man. You got a job to do. You're just like everybody else. You're not that special. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of the, I got slapped with that, with the whole mindset that I see a lot of you guys talking about now, you know, you're not special. Everything's your fault. 
Well, no shit, it is. You're right. And that's, that's a hard transition to make. It's, I called it just like when you were in, in elementary school. If you think back, you know, when you were a sixth grader, you were the king of elementary school. I'm a badass. <laughs> and then when you got to junior high, you're now the lowest man on the totem pole and you feel like a, it's big fish, little pond, big fish, little pond, big fish, little pond. As you, as you do that, you, you're somebody, you're sooner or later, you're always going to be the little fish in the big pond. So it's a, it's a transition, but yeah, it's, that's the hardest part about it. That's a long answer to a very short question. Well, that's what it's about, you know, because it gives me a chance to listen to you and think about uh, where I might want to take it. Yeah. And leave it to you to just chuck in like 10 jokes into that rant too. I like that. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know we'll get to the dad jump thing in a little bit, so that's fine. Yeah. I mean, we can, we can ease into it. <laughs> I'm sure that's what everybody's waiting for at this point. I, I know, I know, I know. Fuck right off. We'll do this. We'll do this yeah. our way. <laughs> yeah, it's like, come on, man. I'm, I'm more than just a funny. I'm more than just a funny corny dad joke, man. Yeah, man. Speaking of that, you know, I didn't know you for the dad jokes. In fact, I was very surprised when you first started interacting with me because um, you were liking the things that I thought. What What is this like? I was, I was like, this, this is a respectable guy. I'm following this guy because he says some wise shit, and I like that. Mm-hmm. He started liking my um, off-color jokes, and I was like, you know, this is, this is kind of surprising. And then get to know you a little bit. Turns out that you're just a joke a minute. But, yep. You know, the reason that, as I said, I, I first started following you and, and having respect for you was, you know, it was clear that you had been through enough life that you had some things to say and it wasn't it wasn't a bunch of pussified stuff you know it's just kind of like hey man this this is the way it is mm-hmm. and then get to tell you a little bit um you know i saw that you were genuinely interested in in getting to know people on twitter mm-hmm. getting to know people in general and mentoring them you know just mm-hmm. kind of them to be a little bit better and i know you've kind of run into a wall with that a little bit on twitter in the past little while and i just wonder what do you what do you think that's about and what do you think can be done about it to where you can find a good balance between having a sense of humor, but then, you know, like getting these punk ass kids to actually intake a little bit of the stuff you're trying to relate to them. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, you're absolutely right. I kind of hit a little bit of a wall and it was um, the, the dad jokes kind of came about because I hit that wall. And one day I was just like, you know what? Screw it. You know, I was Googling some stuff and, and, you know, actually what happened was um, my wife is a substitute teacher and she specializes in kindergarten and first grade. That's her favorite. And so she came home one day and she was like, you know, they had had joke day. And so, you know, first graders and kindergartner, they have the best jokes in the world, man. I mean, it's like, you know, how can you tell if there's an elephant in your fridge? Well, there's footprints in the butter, dummy, you know. I mean, it's just little kids have the best stupid jokes and they're, it's just awesome. So she came home and she was telling me some of the jokes that the kids, the boys had told her. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to, I'll tweet those out. I got nothing today. Um, and the next thing I know is this corny ass joke. I had like 232 likes or something. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck is this? And then I had 20, 20 new followers. I'm like, seriously so i'm like all right so me being me i'm like we'll play a little 4d chess here so 
you know, I go on Google and I look up corny dad jokes and I just start popping them out and I use buffer. You load them into buffer and, and everybody knows how buffer works. You load them into buffer and it pops them out at, you know, predetermined times. Anybody that tweets at 922, 802, all that, everybody knows it's a buffer tweet, but that's okay. It's just convenient. So I would just load them up and let them fire at will. And, and I'm getting these things, man. And I put the one that, that hit it over the top and it's the stupidest joke in the world. It's like I witnessed a robbery at an, at an Apple store and now I'm an eyewitness. And people lost their ever-loving minds, man. That that tweet, I'm still getting likes on that tweet. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like at a thousand and something. You know, I, that's how I got my first million something impressions, and I gained like thirty followers with that joke. And I'm like, you got to be shitting me, seriously? I was like, you go back and look at some of the stuff I tweeted. You know, the stuff about you know honor, courage, commitment. You know, mentoring, how to be this. You know, the men of character stuff I did with Bill Macer. You know. All this stuff trying to follow this format, I guess, that I had. And I was getting like three likes, four likes, and maybe six retweets. Stupidest jokes in the world. I've got, a, you know, 700 retweets and 1,000 likes. So I'm like, well, you know what? Screw it. I was going to, you know, it was just, it was, a, it, was, it was a litmus test for a little bit. And then I was ready to back out of the dad joke thing and go, okay, enough of this bullshit. But, you know, I got, I started getting DMs. Um, and I got a few DMS that were like, Hey chief, man, the jokes are corny, but you have no idea how much I needed that, that chuckle right then. Or Hey chief, man, I read that joke first thing this morning and put me in a good mood. I woke up in a bad mood and it put me in a good mood. Um, you know, so I kind of went, well, you know, shoot, what do I do now, man? I'm, I'm at that conundrum that I think anybody that creates content, whether you be a writer podcaster, tweeter, whatever, you kind of get to that conundrum of, of how is this going to define me? Do I want to be the dad joke guy? You know, uh, Billy Redhorse, he's a gentleman mystic. You know, when you see Billy's picture, when you read Billy's tweets, you know that he is a gentleman mystic. That That's his thing. You know, you know, with the Aeonosphere, you guys, you know what you're going to get with that. You, <laughs> you, everybody, you know, Benjamin, I'm, the intern, I'm still trying to figure him out, but we'll get, you know, he's, he, he's, he's cool. But you, but I said, do I want to be the dad joke guy? And, and I talked to Billy about it offline and I talked to, actually I talked to, to Billy about it and I talked to, to um, Noble Brown a little bit about it. And um, that was a great podcast you guys had too, man. Noble is that voice, man. I'm telling you, he's awesome. Yeah. And he's just, he's just a, He's just a gold nugget after gold nugget. Everything. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I just, I wanted to, I wanted to, to, I finally decided that I'm going to use the dad jokes to the point I'm almost at 3000 followers, but I figured that it's an easy way to, you know, schedule the dad jokes one or two a day and then get back to the interaction of throw that one out every now and then. And I found that it's a little easier to get my message across my message of honor and integrity and, and being a man of character and, and mentoring the young men, it's a little bit easier to do it when you comment to other tweets or if you get into a conversation, you know, to a thread, you get into the conversations, um, you get into the DM groups, you know, we've got a great one with centered around this podcast. Uh, there's a few others, 
you know, that, that's where I found that I can, I can still do my work. I can still do my, my, my mission and my passion. Um, but if I can keep reeling people in, if I can throw that stupid joke in there and then throw in, you know, a little nugget of wisdom, they're going to read the joke. They're going to read the wisdom. Hopefully the, the wisdom stays with them a little bit, you know, but even some of the jokes, if you read some of the jokes, some of the jokes have a little bit of wisdom in there. You know, I posted one today that, you know, it's like, I don't understand why these kids today, you know, are being indoctrinated into communism so easy. I mean, there's a hundreds of red flags. Well, at the surface, it's like, it's a joke. Communism is about red flags. But is it really, is it really a joke? You know, because of the current political climate, you know, people say the young, to me, the young, and we'll, we'll define the young. But they throw around socialism, communism, Nazi, fascist. Sometimes I just want to grab them and go, do you even know what that means? Do you know what that word means? Do you even, can you, okay, Karl Marx, tell me about socialism. Tell me what you think it is. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things to where we're going to be, I'm not going to totally do away with the dad jokes, but, you know, if it's a way to, if it's a, if it's a way to keep bringing the audience in, hopefully they'll pick up some of the wisdom that I throw down. I hope. Yeah, man. Um, I have, I have, I have something to bounce off of what you just said, because one of the things that I've been researching and writing about a lot lately is story wars or, or narrative warfare where, you know, mimetic engineering and, and one of the standout points for me in that area of research has been the idea of you have a concept and you have a vector and the vector is, the vehicle that's carrying the idea and it's basically like sneaking past the mental defenses. So for example, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've always used comedy as a tool my whole life and on my Twitter thing, it's just something that um, you know, I'm comfortable doing, but the joke is the vector. And then the information that I'm trying to pack in is the message, you know? So um, like, sure. like you said, some of those jokes have a message and mm-hmm as challenging as it is, I think optimally that's, that's the place where you could strike your, your key balances, having more and more of those as you can figure them out. I mean, I know it's hard to craft a meaningful joke over and over and over again, but um, you know, I, I have found even like, even if I write a big long thread or something, if I have one or two jokes in there just to break up the monotony of me lecturing you, yeah, it sure works out a lot better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's an old saying, you know, it comes back through medieval times. I mean, the jester was the only one that could laugh at the king and get away with it. And that's kind of how I kind of approach things. Every court's got to have a jester. And I've said that more than once on Twitter and I don't mean it in, and people come back to me in replies or in DMS, they come back to me and go, dude, you need to quit being so self-deprecating, you know, quit selling yourself short as a jester. And I kind of laugh at that because you, you truly don't understand the role of the court jester then. If you think that I'm, if I'm demeaning myself by calling myself the court jester, the court jester had the king's ear, usually more than anybody else, you know, and that was a defense. And, and you know, you do it, and I do it, and I think, I think you and I are pretty much probably two of the, not two of the only, but two of the, the people I'm, I'm aware of. I don't hide the fact that I use humor to mask a lot of other things about myself. I use humor as a defense mechanism as well. Um, in real life, more so than online, obviously. In in real life, it's, you know, 
I've been told I'm a great public speaker. I give good briefs. I'm, I'm, you know, very gregarious. I'm outgoing and all that. But the only way I can do that is I really, first of all, I truly hate people. I hate being around people. (laughs) I hate crowds. I hate it. But I use humor as a defense mechanism to get me, not you, but to get me past my own self. Um, If I were to let myself keep focusing inward, I'd never walk into a room and never give a brief and I'd never give a talk and I'd never do a podcast. But I use humor to get myself past myself, if that makes sense, is I would hold myself back. But humor is my gateway in so that as soon as I get that first person to giggle or laugh or something like that, then I'm golden, man. I got them now. And I feel that way. I was like, I got them. They're mine. So they're going to focus on themselves laughing and having a good time. They're going to hear my message and they're not going to focus so much on me because I'm still just like everybody else. You know, you see all of these people that stand up. Everybody is insecure in their own shape, shape, form, or fashion. Everybody. Even Alexander Cortez, I promise you. Even he's got an insecurity somewhere. Ed Lattimore does. All the people you see on Twitter that are the, are the, are the, big, the big accounts and the guys that do these talks, they all have a moment of self. They have an insecurity about themselves, but how do you handle that? Do you curl up in yourself and you let that thing just eat you up and that controls you? Or do you find a, do you find a mechanism like humor, you know, fitness, you know, the, the realm of logocentrifical, the ionosphere, do you let those things take you and put the focus on your message instead of yourself? And it's easier to get your message across if you don't think everybody's focused on yourself. I don't even know that that made sense. No, I mean, my understanding of what you just said is essentially that, um, you know, if you're in touch with your purpose and you're, and you're following the things that naturally follow from that, if you hold tight to it, then the world looks a certain way. You have a certain set of choices in front of you. You know your principles. If you know who you are, then mm-hmm. all you have to do is focus upon the things that are in line with those principles. And, and, and then all the rest of the stuff is just is what it is. Like, I feel the same as you, man. Yeah. I'm in crowds and stuff. Uh, I'm not good with crowds because I'm hyper aware, you know, situational awareness is something that in me has been honed to a high degree because of trauma. And then because of training, because I was sure. a wild firefighter and, and then I've been through some shit, you know? So it's like, okay, here I am at Disneyland and I'm supposed to be having a great time with my family and my kids, but everywhere there's people, everywhere there's threats, everywhere I'm mm-hmm. watching everywhere I'm watching postures. Okay. I can't be on red line this whole time, or this is going to be a disaster. And I'm going to be an asshole after like halfway through day one, all yep. the way through the rest of this time. So what do I do? It's like, okay, I have to accept the fact that I'm, I'm not in control of this situation. I have to stay close to my family. I have to make sure they're following the rules that keep people safe. And I have to make sure that I'm following the rules that keep me from turning into a giant asshole. And I have to find the right balance between being alert and being present with my family. Mm-hmm. And it's tough to do, but like jokes, jokes are good for me too. And, and a lot of it is like, I'm looking at it, the world and I'm just kind of chuckling about things to myself, you know, yeah. like I hear a bit of conversation. I'll, I'll give you an example, dude. <laughs> I was, I was just at the, I was just at the tulip festival <laughs> and I walk past with my family, this bench and on this bench is a couple and I hear the girl say, Oh, you were in choir. Oh, that's cool. And I look over to my wife and I say, that's something I never expected to hear. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like 
I mean, props to her, man, but you're right. It's like choir. I've never heard anybody in choir be cool, but that's cool. But no, you're right. <laughs> you know, I, I think I forget who I told on, I was, I forget what podcast it was, but you know, we were talking and somebody's like, you know, Hey, you know, about, about my humor. And I'm like, you know, the best, you know, we would fly missions and you know, it's, you know, you try to set the scene, the sea of Japan, you're 200 feet off the water track in a submarine. It's stormy. It's wintertime. It's shitty weather. Um, you know, and then something happens with the airplane. We're sitting up front and you know, the airplane does something. So the two pilots are immediately, and I'm like scanning to see what instrument, you know, and the pilot goes, ah, shit. And I was like, well, okay, sir. I'm I'm looking for the ah shit meter to see if it's low or high. I can't mm-hmm. find the ah shit meter. Can you be a little more specific about what you just felt? You know, and it's you know stuff like that. You know, you're you're in a hot mission. I had a, a tactical officer had a satellite phone, and the flight station of a P3. He you can there's a cabinet right behind my seat in the middle, and you can sit there and it's got a skylight. We had you know windows, normal aircraft windows, and then we had a skylight. And this tactical officer, we have a satellite phone. And we're at like 26,000 feet and we're getting ready to descend on station. And so he's trying to call in where we're at, you know, report that we're going down to a thousand feet and all this. So we're at 26,000 feet. So he's on the satellite phone and he gets up behind my seat and props up on my headrest and puts the antenna right next to the very top window on the aircraft. And he's screaming into this thing right behind my ear. And when he got done, I finally kind of grabbed him by the collar and went, Hey commander. That's a satellite phone, right? Yeah. I'm like, the satellite's roughly, you know, 200 miles in Earth orbit. Yeah. We're 26,000 feet above the surface of the Earth, right? Yeah. I was like, did you think that that extra eight inches was going to get you a clear signal to that fucking satellite (laughs) that's 200 (laughs) miles overhead? So did you really need to prop on my headrest and yank my seatbelt back? You know, it's stuff like that, and the pilots are just losing their ass, man. They're just they're dying laughing. But, you know, it was a stressful situation. But, again, that's how I kind of tend to defuse and defend stressful situations because I was, I was responsible for the enlisted crew. You know, and they'd come up, hey, Chuck, what's going on, man? Ah, dude, we ain't, it's, it's fine. You know, we got some smoke in the cabin. I think, you know, somebody farted, and I don't know. You know, so it was one of those things to where it's like, you use you use humor just like in Disneyland, whether you're in an aircraft in a, in a combat mission, whether you're at Disneyland, you're in the mall. You you have to get your mind focused on what will best help you acclimate and get past whatever it is that you're about to let take you over. I could panic. I could have panicked any number of times in an aircraft. I could panic in the mall. I can panic anywhere. But you use those things those defense mechanisms. And, and I think what's, what kills me a lot is there's not enough people that recognize that. And there's not enough people that would admit it. Um, you see it in Twitter all the time. You see alpha Chad Twitter that, you know, I am a badass. I am a machine. No one can get me. I'm up. I'm hustling. I'm grinding. I'm lifting more weights than anybody. My coffee is blacker than anybody's. I am more red pilled than anybody. I can Dude, no, you're not. You've got, everybody's got something. And to me, it takes more of a a man to stand up and admit that and then know how to fix it, own it, 
admit it. Don't wallow in it. Don't let it be an excuse. Don't let it be a freaking crutch, but admit it, own it, and then move on with it. So, I mean, it's, you have to pick that, that point of, is, of how, it, how it helps you. So I think that's, that's the most important thing. So, yeah. You know, I came, I came to Twitter and I, and I hadn't been on social media for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons was, um, you know, I have a sordid past and mm -hmm. I needed to be able to, I needed to be able to be okay with that. You know, I knew, I, you know, I knew coming to social media, well, eyes, eyes are put upon you. And I figured I was going to be successful, honestly. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm good at getting attention drawn onto me. So it's like, mm -hmm. okay, I don't see why I couldn't do this. Um, so when I came to social media, I, that's one of the first things I did was I was just like, here's, here's all the, or here's a good deal of the stuff that I've been through. You know, I've been a problem maker. I've had problems put in my way. This is some of the stuff I've been through. Now you can understand, like, I'm not, I'm not coming at you telling you I'm holier than thou. What I'm saying is I, I've been through more stuff than a lot of people, less than a lot of mm -hmm. people too. I overcame it. And a lot of people in my position didn't. And here's how I right. did that. And then here's how yeah. I went from there. So now I'm like growing. So, um, you know, you've, not everybody gets to be master chief. Not everybody gets to be in positions of authority or respect. Not everybody gets to say, um, a phone call that says, Hey, you know, we'd really like to have you and everybody down here mm -hmm. knows you. Yeah. They want you back. So come work for us. Yeah. So, I mean, I know you talked about managing those relationships, but what are some of the things you think, um, like a young man coming up could do to improve his chances of, um, successfully climbing that ladder and then once he's climbed it to have the back end of those relationships be in good standing so that when he needs to rely on somebody in the future he's not burned those bridges yeah that's an absolutely great point um i went out a few weeks ago to twitter because johnny noble did it and uh you know it's like hey i'm gonna offer up my services as a mentor for free um i'm gonna take two or three guys dm me and we'll go from there. Um, I had a couple of guys DM me and I'm like, okay, first thing you're going to do is you're going to email me at this email address. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about your background. And they did. And I went, okay, so next assignment, you need to write down what your, your vision, your life vision is. Um, and by that, I mean, if you, and I tell people this, not a vision statement. Don't confuse it with a vision statement. But when I say a life vision, I take it from the point I would tell you. I'd be like, Chance, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out to the 85th year of your life. You're on your deathbed. You're fixing to die in a matter of an hour. You know it's coming. Tell me how you see how. Tell me how you saw your life. What were your highs and your lows? What were the good and the bad? What would you have done different? Because I don't care what anybody says, we all that we're all going to die with regrets. So, what are your regrets? What would you have done different? What was your life vision? How do you picture your life? And I'm like, outside of that, I want to know what your one year, five year, ten year goals are. Where do you see yourself in one year, five year, ten year? That's basic leadership management 101. I'm like, get back to me with that, and we'll go from there, and we'll schedule one weekly Skype Zoom sessions, whatever, and we'll we'll chat. They never came back to me. Okay, so to me, to your point, what can a young man do to they you can't you can't start building networks and relationships early enough. 
And it, when I was you guys' age, I didn't have social media. Uh, even the younger 20-year-old guys today, I didn't have the social media that they had. It's too easy to do what we're doing right now. You get on the DMs and, and, and Twitter, you reach out to those folks that you, you've seen online that you would like to con- converse with, and you got to get past that, well, you know, Chance would never talk to me. Ed Lattimore would never DM me back. You know, Dr. Ralph wouldn't talk to me. Bobby Dino wouldn't talk to me. Yeah, they will, man. Chuck will talk to you. You know, you DM me as long as you don't come up with some ignorant bullshit in my DM. Like, hey, baby, I'm trying to get new contact lenses. Would you like to give me some money? If you're a young, if you're a young man and you come straight at me and go, hey, Chuck, I've read your stuff, man. I really like what you're doing. I was wondering if you'd have some time to answer some questions. I just had two guys do this to me. They came back to me in their DMs. One guy was like, hey, look, I want to start my own business. I was in jail. I got out. I'm a 28-year-old college freshman. I did time. I got out. I'm going back to school, trying to support my family, and I want to be an entrepreneur. I was like, he goes, and I want to do copywriting. I'm like, look, dude, God bless you. Here's what I'm going to do for you. I want you to get a hold of Bobby Dino and Jose Rosado. I was like, Jose will help you with the, the copywriting. Bobby did time. I was like, those are more your lane guys. I was like, I can't really help you because I can't speak. I've never been in jail. So I can't really speak to that. I'm here for you. I'll help you. I'll help you get there. And I think that goes back to your point is if I were to tell, I try to tell young men now all the time, you know, you talk to me, but go look and see who I interact with on Twitter. You see me interact with Chance, with Garrett. You know, with all you got, you know, who even Victor, you know, Chuck and Victor are probably the two people that everybody thinks that these two would never, ever get along. It would never, ever see eye to eye. And we do. Oddly enough, it's weird. Love it. Yeah. But I love it. I mean, I think it's great, you know, because I see Victor for who Victor is. I don't see Victor through Chuck's eyes. I'm not trying to make Victor Chuck. I'm seeing Victor for who Victor is. Yeah. And it's making me think a little bit. It makes me step back out of my my myself and what I'm used to in my blinders and go, well, you know what? Maybe he's got a point. But anyway, I tell young men, you go in and start building those networks. Learn. And even if you're not going to use it now, you learn how to do it. When I was a boy scout leader, the thing that I loved before they killed my beloved boy scouts, when we would do merit badge, when you had to do a merit badge for boy scout, there used to be a list of men or women now that would do, be merit badge counselors. Mm-hmm. And you would have to call that person up and you'd have to schedule a time, schedule to meet, always in a public place, and you would have to go over your merit badge stuff. And the thing I loved about that was that that made a young boy and a young man, that made them pick up a phone and made them reach out to an adult. And that can be scary. Hey, Mr. Whitworth, this is so-and-so. I see that you're an aviation merit badge counselor. I'm do- working on mine. I'd like to meet with you. Okay, Johnny, sure. Let's meet at the library at 730. Make sure your mom's with you and all this. You know, and we'd sit and talk. And so making that young man reach out and form that connection to someone that's older or more experienced, get over that shyness, reach out. And honestly, Chance, there's guys now that I did merit badges for them 10, 15 years ago, this on the aviation side, they got their A&P license. Some of them were pilots and they still stay in touch with me to this day. And they go, Hey, Chuck, man, you know, I'm getting ready to get this certification for my pilot's license. 
you know, you know, do you, what do you know about this airplane? Or have you been to this airport because I'm flying there? You know, I still stay in contact with those people. So build, I, you can't build enough networks. You can't communicate enough with people and you have to be on that personal level. You know, young men need to reach out to men like myself. And it's, I, you know, again, you get into the thing of, ah, those boomers. Well, boomers, uh, uh, titles are bullshit. I can interact with a 24-year-old just as good as I can with a 54-year-old. You know, and I try to come at it, and I tell guys that are my age, don't come at these young men with, you freaking young, you whippersnappers, get off my lawn. What do you know? You got to come at these dudes today with a mindset of, how does this guy see the world? The guy sees the world through Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You know, he sees it through that. He doesn't see it through the newspaper, the evening news, word of mouth like we did around the flagpole or out at the smoking area at the high school. But yes, we used to have smoking areas at high schools when I was growing up. So, but it's still, it's the same thing. You have to be able to form that personal relationship and those, those connections with people. So for a young man to be successful, he's going to carry that through the rest of his life because that young man is going to be an, a middle-aged guy one day and he's going to need that set of balls to walk into his manager's office and go, I think I deserve a raise. And here's why I deserve a raise, because here's what I've done for the bottom line and for the team. He's got to have that confidence, that swagger. He's got to have that, that the ability to carry himself like a man, you know, not slouching in and go, hey, I'd really like to – can I talk to you? I'd like to ask a question. No, man, because you've already developed that relationship and you can talk to him as an equal. You, you, under, you respect the authority, but he's an equal. You know, you're a colleague, so you got to be able to go in there and talk and go, here's why I'm going to take your job. And, it, and it's just – it all goes back to making connections. That's what young men need to do today. Excellent. There's a, I, I want to I respond to some of the stuff you just said because I really sure. connect a lot of it. As far as networks go, I want to I want to make something clear to the people who are listening to this. I, you know, I'm going to break I'm going to break the chuck wall right there. I'm going to talk right to the listeners for a second. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of all about them anyway. Between you know, we we have yeah. our relationship, and that's awesome. But this is for them, and I'm not going to get too deep into it. But look, I've only been on Twitter since you know July of last year, and on this account since October. I was never on social media before that since MySpace, and I was only on MySpace for like a year. Um, so in that time, I've created a media company with some other smart people. I've published two books, one of which I co-wrote with two of the people I formed that media company with. I've started a blog, I've started a podcast. And on this podcast, I've had so many of these great guests. And most of those guests are together in a DM group on Twitter. And we're all connected and talking to each other all the time. And it's, I mean, it's a, it's, it's, Everybody in the self-improvement Twitter, almost all of them are in there. Almost all the guys that you're like, that's the guy I could never talk to. They're almost all in there. And it's such an honor to be in there. And from like, I got to talk to Jack Murphy and he's a great dude and he's very popular and he's a very busy guy. Um, but I had been challenging um, Charles Franklin to be doing pushups and stuff. And we were having fun with each other. And it was like a mentorship thing where I was just like, Hey man, here's the next challenge and I'll do it with you. So Jack Murphy said, I'm looking for people on my podcast. Um, Charles recommended me. And I was like, yeah, let's do that. Um, let's do an ionosphere or a dialogue, you know? And then I talked to Jack and Jack gave me this bit of advice. He said, um, lead with service 
or, you know, the idea is like, do something nice for the person you want to get in contact with first, you know, like, why don't you introduce yourself? Like, it's the same as in person with the handshake and a smile. It's kind of like, hey, man, you know, here's a nice thing I said about you because I want to get to know you or I bought your book or whatever. And I have two, I have two, you know, like guests that are on a level of popularity that I haven't, like, I've never really experienced before. And I still have all you guys. And, and the difference between them is just the ability, the effectiveness of these people to communicate the message that they have. And, you know, I'm, I'm learning, you're learning, we're all learning together. Even guys like Cortez or like Lattimore, all these people, like no matter the level that they've risen to, everything that they're writing about, especially in this corner of Twitter is like, here's the new thing I learned at this level that I'm trying to communicate to you. And so like for me, and Victor even said this to me one time, he said, you know, I feel like you're at the age or like you're in a space where you've had enough life experience that you can connect to the older guys, but you're young enough and in touch enough with what's going on that you can communicate it to us. And that's, that's what I'm trying to do with this whole podcast. It's like, I get to talk to exceptional people. And then I, I try to imagine like, okay, if I'm the dumbest guy in the room, how can I make what these people know accessible to me? And I'm not always successful at that because that's not necessarily my natural inclination, but it's, it's like, it's, it's out of love that this happens. And it's through this network that I've created that I even get to have the opportunity to have this podcast and to talk mm -hmm. to people, you know, where would I have ever talked to chief Chuck if I hadn't had Twitter and much less like, then it's like, I respect you, man. And I want to mm -hmm. learn from that. I'd be happy to teach you just, you know, like, let's go. Yeah. And one of the people who came through and said, let's go, dude, let's do this. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're right. I mean, it's, it's some, when I, watching your evolution over the past few months, you know, to, you know, where it started out with, you know, the born know it all. And then, <laughs> you know, and then seeing, seeing what you went to and then how you kind of, you, you kind of made a, a bell curve. I call it, I call it an inverse bell curve. You kind of made a bell curve and you came back out the other side. It's a bathtub effect. Mm -hmm. um, and we all do it, man. Everybody's life has that bathtub effect. You're going to come out the other side, but you know, watching the people that you've racked up on this podcast, you know, I'm going, this dude's got some balls, man. He's going after Cernovich. You know, he went to Jack Murphy. He's got AJ, you know, he's got a long list of people. And I, and I kind of, I kind of kidded around with you a little bit, kind of, you know, with a, some true self faces, is holy shit dude why do you still want me man you've got you've gotten some of the freaking hottest names in twitter you know it's kind of like i told bill macer when we were doing men of character i'm like dude man i'm i'm like you know third third string junior varsity compared to some of these guys but as it turns out we all have you're right we all have good messages you know aj's message is important my message is important yours bill all of these guys we all have good messages and i think you brought up some great points that these people that you talk to and I've talked about, I'm not going to give it out, but Cortez has my phone number. I has hit, I have his, you know, I've got yours. You got mine. There's some, there's Billy. There's a lot of us that we communicate on the DMS, but I think what the coolest thing is, is in this corner that we've gotten. And I think for the young men listening, you're not, you need to understand you're not just going to walk in the door and sit down at the table. That's not how it works. You, you earn your seat at the table and you earn it by coming in and it's just like you said, the handshake and the smile. The greatest resource we have is time. Everybody. That's the current. I, I call time as a currency. Time is truly money. Um, the worst thing you can do 
is not bring value to someone's time. Um, you know, we're all busy. We've all got things going on. But if you bring value to that 16 minutes, 30 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever you get to spend with someone, as long as there's an exchange of value, then it's perfect. You've done it. The other thing I love about this group that we deal with is in his heart. And I know for an outsider looking in, it would be hard to conceive this, but it's so natural for us. And I, and I think you'll agree with me that none of us, none of us ever get that jealousy or we never get down because one of us does better than the other one. In fact, we, we cheer that if one of us has a success, Jeff, with rugged legacy. Hell yeah. The dude in 90 days and he and I had a, we had a conversation because I, I was laughing because I told him, I'm like, Jeff at Christmas, that's the first time I'd ever seen Duke cannon stuff. Okay. That's the first time I'd ever seen an Altoids tin with solid cologne. I'm like, this shit is awesome. I was like, you can take it on the airplane and all this. So I started Googling. I was like, it's jojoba oil or jojoba oil. I how you say it, you know, shea butter is some essential oils and you can make your own. I was like, dude, I ought to go buy some Altoid tins and I ought to do this myself. Dude, Cannon sells it for $20. I could sell it for 15 and make a killing. It's like three bucks a tin. I'm giving away Jeff's margins, but we've already had this conversation. The difference between me and Jeff Putnam is Jeff Putnam had the same idea I did at the exact same time. The difference, Jeff got up off his ass and did it, and Chuck didn't. Hell yeah. So am I mad at Jeff? Fuck no, I've got his product sitting in my bathroom. Yeah, me too. I love this shit. And to me, I was, every time he has a success, I get so fucking excited that you would think it was my company and I'm not even an affiliate for him. But it's just like, if you, when you did a book and you sold the book, I'm like, fuck yeah, dude, he's selling books, man. Yeah. (laughs) You know, anytime any of us do something good, we all get excited and it's, it's not a, well, fuck him, man. He's selling books, you know, shit. I could have done that. Yeah, we all could, but you did it. And so I'm like, look at you, you know, and if I have, if I sell 50 copies of something, Hey, look at Chuck, Chuck sold these. We all cheer each other on. And that's the thing that is good about mentoring for young men to understand is we're all a ladder. We all stand on the shoulders of each other. We don't, we don't get there by ourselves. We, we, there's a thousand cliches. Your rising tide raises all boats, except in your case, if it's a leaky one, it sinks to the bottom. That's depressing. Don't say that no more. You know, we, we all blow sunshine, but we all going to get there, man. And so that's what I like. And when, and for the young men that are listening and young women too, man, I'm, I'm not, I'm not like that. Young women need mentoring as well. But I think if you sit there and see what we do and you, you catch that energy and you catch that fire, and you start making those connections. You, first of all, I know I could reach out to anybody in our group. I can ask a question and I can get an answer. Sometimes I'll get multiple answers. If I needed something, I could ask for it. And then you get those collaborative projects of going, man, I want to do something, but I'm stuck. I don't know how to do this. And you throw it out there and you go, dude, shoot it to me and let me edit it for you. Here, click, 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 click. Okay, there, there you go. You know, I got to change my profile picture because Jose is on my ass about my profile picture and the lighting. It's the worst. Like, it's the worst ever. It dude. is. It sucks. But you know what? <laughs> I'm, I'm fat right now. I got to get a better lighting thing. But that's the thing. You know, I think in our group, the way that we all hold each other up, I think that's the best part. And I think that's the best thing that we can do. So, um, 
Hey, I got chance. I got a scoot in about eight minutes. Okay. Um, one thing I want to touch on, we tweeted it, if you don't mind. Yeah, man. Um, I said, we'd talk about it. Um, one thing I want people to understand is from a serious side, you know, my mission has always been integrity, honor, living that life, being a man of character as Bill Maser, as we had our, our conference. Um, and I tweeted it out. We talked about core values. Everybody should have a set of core values. I, I adopted the Navy's uh, because it was honor, courage, and commitment. Um, I think those those are the things, you know, and I want to kind of touch on those real quick. And uh, I'll I'll tweet out about it later. But the Navy adopted honor, courage, and commitment. We had a crisis. We had a crisis back in the late 90s after Tell Hook and a lot of other things went down and the Navy had a crisis of, of who we are. Mm -hmm. And if you're listening close, you can take Navy and substitute your insert your name here because we've always had that. We, all of us have had at one point that crisis of internal, you know, where are we going? Where's our moral compass? The Navy didn't have a moral compass, man. We were, we were whoring it up. We were drugging it up, drinking it up. And we were just, we were being drunken sailors. We were living up to every TV stereotype there is. And so the CNO at the time, the chief of naval operations put a task force together and we came up, we needed a mission statement. We needed, we needed a direction. And that's where we came up with the core values of honor, courage, and commitment. The core value of honor for the Navy states that I will be mindful or it starts off. I am responsible for my personal and professional behavior. I will be mindful of the privilege I have to serve my fellow Americans. Uh, courage, courage is the value that gives us the moral and mental strength to do what is right with confidence and resolution, even in the face of temptation or adversity and commitment. The core value of commitment is, it's the day-to-day -day duty of every man and woman in the department of the Navy to come together as a team to improve the quality of our work, our people and ourselves. So those are the three core values for the Navy and people are going, yeah, 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 chief. That's great. That's a recruiting poster. I'm not in the Navy. Don't want anything to do with the military. Well, I'm going to tell you a little story. When my son was in the eighth grade, he had a little bit of a moral crisis for an eighth grader. Wouldn't do his homework, cheating on tests, wouldn't clean his room. We didn't know who Peterson was at the time or I made him read his book. Um, but, you know, he had – so basically what I did, and anybody can do this, you can take those three core values, and what I did was I modified them. So for honor, I made my son learn them and he would recite them on command because he's a chief's kid or he'd do push-ups. But the, the Whitworth family core values were honor, courage, and commitment. And honor was, I am still accountable for my personal and professional behavior because going to school is his job. So he was responsible for his professional behavior. But he was mindful of the privilege of what the privilege it is to be in this family. You know, he had a roof over his head. He had a warm bed. He had three meals a day and two parents that loved him dearly. So not every kid has that. So he needed to be mindful of the privilege he had to be in that environment. Courage, I never changed the words to courage for him because you don't need to change those words. Courage is the value that gives you the moral and mental strength to do what is right with confidence and resolution, even in the face of temptation or adversity. That, that is honor and integrity. That is integrity to the word. Do what's right all the time. Don't matter how shitty it is, how bad it is. Do what's right. In commitment, I just changed the words a little bit. It's the day-to-day -day duty, and it is the day-to-day -day duty of every man, woman, and child in the Whitworth family 
to come together as a team to improve the quality of our work, our family, and ourselves. So you can take that and everybody needs a set of core values. And so, you know, dad jokes aside and all my stuff aside, if nobody takes anything away from this podcast tonight, I want you to take that away that virtue, morality are great things. Honor, integrity, character, those are the the things that get you through life. Those are the things that are going to make your life worthwhile. You know, you can sit there and you can post whatever you want to on Twitter. You can tell yourself whatever you're doing. But at the end of the day, we all have to look in that mirror. You know, and I tell, I used to tell my scouts, the Eagle Scout creed, when they, when they make Eagle Scout, it goes into the last words of the Declaration of Independence. And that document, I swear, I love that document. Because that document was written by a bunch of 20-year-olds. And so you sit there and you tell me, at 55 in 1776, A, I wouldn't have been here because I'd have been dead. I would have died of malaria at 40. But these 20-year-olds, these 19, 20, and 20, I think the oldest guy there was Hancock at 33 maybe? 33, 34 years old. These guys wrote this document that basically told the king of England to fuck off, that this is what we're going to do. But what they said they were going to do is they talked about honor. And they said that they pledged to, to this endeavor, they pledged their lives, their fortune, and their sacred honor. So your honor is one of the things that are most important to you. So stick with that, do what's right, live with honor, live with integrity. But for Pete's sake, have some fucking fun along the way, man. Don't have a stick up your ass 99% of the time and be worried about things that you can't fix, man. Have some fun. Period. That's all I got, man. Look, Chief, usually I have to tell people to do that but you came prepared. You had what you wanted to say to say, and that was said beautifully. And I couldn't agree more. Thank you. For listening. Listen, that's, that's the foundation of your life right there laid out for you easily and, and an easy to understand language that even a sailor could understand. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so look, chief, I really appreciate you coming on here. And in fact, I want to have you on again because um, yeah, I'm man. A party and I want to pick your brain some more, but Sure. In the meantime, why don't you tell them where they can find you, give them your handle, shout out to anybody you want to say hello to, that kind of thing. Man, you know what? I'm Chief Chuck. I'm a Scorpio. I like long walks on the beach. Um, I'm a fan <laughs> of the, the – no. Nah. Yeah, I'm on Twitter, man. And really, here's the thing. I'm on Twitter at Chief Chuck 2 k uh, You can search Chief Chuck. Um, if you're following Chance, you can find me. I'm easy to find. Um, I don't have a podcast anymore. I used to. Um, I like being on podcasts more than I like um, producing them. So if you have a podcast and you'd like me as a guest, if you like what you've heard tonight, uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my email is uh, gchuck2k at gmail. I do have a webpage. It's kind of a blog type thing. It's uh, Uh You can find me there. Um, but yeah, and just a quick plug, if I get 55 more followers before tomorrow night, I'm going to provide a link to a blog post called Chief Chuck After Dark. It's going to be the dad jokes that you can't tell your mama. And um, it'll be, it's got a parental advisory sticker that comes with it. So it's going to be some of my good sailor jokes. 
So spread the word. If you want to see some, some dirty jokes, man, um, I can get down in the gutter with you. I'm not beyond that, but no, I chance. I appreciate you having me on dude. Your, your podcast are, are phenomenal, man. I love listening to them. Some of the guests you've had on, um, some of the stuff you guys talk about, you know, people really need to tune in and take this stuff to heart, man. You know, it's a great sitting here having a conversation between two friends, but some of the stuff that we throw out and some of the folks that Dr. Ralph threw out, you know, you know, some of the folks that you've had, some of the stuff you just can't, you can't, you're getting that shit for free. All I got to do is tune into your podcast and get it. So keep up the good work, man. Fuck, I'm loving it. Hey man, I appreciate that. And it's a, it's nothing but an honor to be sitting here talking to fine folks and you're one of them, Chuck, as much as you want to, as much as you want to say otherwise and joke around, you know, I have nothing but respect for you. And I know everybody who interacts with you feels the same way. So I appreciate you, man. Well, thank you, man. It's been an honor. Appreciate it. Okay. And this is going to go out tomorrow. So I'll, I'll uh, pump up your challenge too and see if we can't help you get 55 more uh, followers and get dude. some jokes out there. Dude, I, look, look at these guns, man. Shit, get that oh. on tape. Look at that shit. Um, oh! <laughs> woo! No, yeah, man. I'm gonna tell you, I got some good jokes, man. I just can't put it on Twitter because I don't want to get banned. So, yeah, <laughs> all right, yeah. all right, man. Look, I jump. Um, in that case, man, I appreciate you. Logo centrifugal, Chief Chuck, Chance Lunsford, out.